Uh, my name is Matt Moran. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm going to be opening up this passage of Galatians this morning. Um, we believe that every one of these words are inspired, helpful, and true. So let's pray before we start, and we will get into this. Holy God, we thank you for communicating with us through your word. And right now I'm asking that you would help me to communicate clearly and truthfully and that together we would come underneath your word and receive it with faith and obedience. So help us to do that, please. We need you for that. Amen. Okay. Have you ever heard of a website... Uh, called ifttt.com, ifttt.com. It stands for if this, then that. And the premise behind this website is that when something happens, it will trigger a customized action. You can use this web service to create your own if this, then that scenarios. For example, if you get nervous about snow and ice, then you, will get a te- you can set this up to get a text message when snow is in, in the forecast. If you want to protect yourself from the sun, then you can get an alert when the UV index is at a certain level that you set. If you take a photo on your iPhone, you can have it automatic, like the fact of taking the photo will automatically trigger the photo to be emailed to your email account. If one thing is true, then it triggers an automatic and logical response. So you can imagine there's like a myriad of potential scenarios for that. Now, in mentioning that, don't take that as an endorsement, but more as like, I actually get twitchy when I get more than like a couple text messages. But what I'm saying today is that this passage of scripture that we're going to look at is an if this, then that passage of scripture. If we live by the Spirit, then let us also walk by the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, then let us also walk by the Spirit. Now we're going to go on and see, see this part that says, uh, the, the conclusion of the passage that says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another, but I'm going to get to that in a little bit. If we live by the Spirit, then let us also walk by the Spirit. So in this passage of Galatians 5, Paul's used several phrases that sound pretty similar. In verse 16, he says to walk by the Spirit. In verse 18, he says you are led by the Spirit. And in verse 25, the scripture that I'm looking at right now, he said he talks about living by the Spirit. And last week, Matt McCann already talked about this spirit versus flesh battle. We talked about the flesh as this self-centered self-focused part of ourselves that is always thirsting for self-gratification outside of God. And we said that the spirit and the flesh are continually opposed to each other. Matt described this as an ongoing battle between spirit and flesh, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit. What I want to talk about today is this idea of walking with the spirit. What does it mean to be led by the Spirit, or Spirit-led. I want you to be able to walk out of this place and say, both I understand what it means to walk by the Spirit, and I'm excited about doing that. I understand what it means, I'm excited about doing that. But before we get there, here's how I think we often talk about this idea. 
Sometimes we face a really difficult personal decision, and then we talk about being spirit-led, right? Or we talk about needing the Holy Spirit to guide us. For example, like, if I'm faced with a hard choice between two job opportunities, or if I have a decision about where to move, then I might say that I need the Spirit to guide me, or I might even request prayer for that. And then some people will talk about these decisions, and they'll use language like, I really feel a peace about this decision. Or they'll say, we really feel like God is leading us. Right? Does that sound familiar at all? And the reason I bring that up is because I think the, the way that we often think and talk about the leadership of the Spirit is in that kind of like interior mystical power that guides our decisions. Today, we're talking about something much broader than that than how we think just about major personal decisions. I'm not really, I'm really not downplaying this idea of interior guidance from the Spirit of God. I'm not saying that there's no biblical warrant for that, um, or that you can't pray and have like a real sense of peace or guidance from the Spirit. Because I have felt that. I think many of us would say, yes, we felt that in different decisions that we've made. What I'm saying is that what Paul is saying right now is a broader concept than simply major decisions that you have an internal sense about. He's talking about something much more comprehensive than that that goes beyond, uh, that goes beyond like a, an interior feeling. So let's get into this. If we live by the Spirit, if this is true, then there must also be a logical conclusion. If this is true, then we also must walk by the Spirit. So have you ever had a situation where you realize a certain thing is true, and then suddenly, while your mind is still adjusting to that fact, you start to become aware of all the implications of that fact? Like if you've ever locked your keys in the house, you know how that feels, right? Have you ever had the moment where you realize just as you're walking out the door that your keys are still in the house, and you've locked it from the inside, and you grab your pockets, right, like this, and you ask anyone that's with you, do you have the keys? And then all of a sudden, it's like your brain begins to freeze because you realize, if I don't have the keys, then I can't get back in the house. I can't get where I'm going. I'm going to miss wherever I was going to. I'm going to have to call a locksmith, or I'm going to have to break a window. And then you start to, like, like for a second, you cramp up because you're like, this thing is true, and then there are a million other implications. Your brain freezes for a second. Then the reverse can also be beautifully true, right? So I have younger brothers, and um, my grandfather passed away when they were very young. They never really had a relationship with him. So they grew up without him as part of their life. What they did not know was that he had set aside a certain amount of money for them when they reached a certain age. So my younger brother, Chris, these, these kids are much younger than me, was very pleasantly surprised when he graduated college and found out that there was actually money waiting for him that he knew nothing about. So I happened to be in the room when he told my even younger brother, Charlie, about this. And Chris said he'd inherited money that would help him with graduate school. And I saw my younger brother, Charlie's face. It was like, wait, wait, what? If that's true, if you're telling me you just got money after graduating college, and this was set up for the grandchildren, 
and I'm a grandchild, and I'm going to graduate, then that must mean, it was like, whoa, unbelievable, like alarms going off in his head. What I'm saying is, if we live by the Spirit, then that has incredible implications for our conduct. And when Paul says, if we live by the Spirit, he doesn't mean maybe we do, maybe we don't. He's saying, listen, if everything that I'm saying, that I've been saying is true, in other words, if this gospel, if this gospel of justification by faith is true, that means those who have been justified by faith do live by the Spirit. And that living by the Spirit, Paul is referring here to what we call the new birth. The new birth is this idea that the Spirit of God opens the eyes of sinful people and causes them to see and to understand and to believe and delight in the gospel. Through the Spirit, we are born again. We are made new creations, given a new spirit that loves God and delights in God. We call that being born again, the new birth. And there isn't one of us that does not need that. The faith that justifies is given by the Spirit of God. If you believe the gospel, it's not because you figured it out yourself. It's because the Spirit of God opened your eyes and caused you to understand. And that's what Jesus said in John chapter 3. Matt read this uh, a moment ago. In John chapter 3, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water in the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So if that is true, then we live by the Spirit of God. And if we live by the Spirit of God, then Paul is saying, let us also walk by the Spirit. What he's saying is, if we are alive by the Spirit of God, then our conduct should also be in step with our new identity. Does that make sense? Then our conduct, the way that we live, should also be in step with who God has made us. So we were created by God to represent God, to bear his image in the world, to show the world what God is like. And sin, in all its devastation, sin mars that image of God and tries to destroy our capacity to represent God in the world. However, in the new birth, that's restored. We are given a new spirit, a new nature. And Paul is saying, if you live by that Spirit, your conduct should be in line with that. In other words, your life should reflect your new identity. Walking in the Spirit means living a life that reflects our deep hope in the gospel, that reflects, that lives out our deep hope in the gospel. It's pointing to, the, to conduct that reflects the result of the Spirit in our lives. We've received the Spirit by faith. Now he's pushing that idea further and saying, your life should be in harmony with the message that we've received. You've received it by faith. Now we should live in harmony with that. Now we walk in the Spirit. And I love that Paul uses the word walk, right? Some other translations say keep in step. And that is why I said that being led by the Spirit goes far beyond major decisions. Paul isn't saying consult the Spirit of God 
when you have to decide where you will attend college or whether you will take that job or whether you should ask that person out or whether it's time to be renting or buying. He's saying those are important decisions. But if we live by the Spirit, then every aspect of our lives should reflect our identity. We are forgiven of our sins, and the Spirit has opened our eyes to the truth of the gospel. Our capacity to bear God's image has been restored, and that means all of life should be lived in light of those amazing truths. So let me use an example to explain this. I happen to be kind of rhythmically challenged. And I know some of you wish, some of you probably wish, I know have expressed at different times, like, you wish we clap more in church, right? You wish there were more of like a clapping church. That's fine. You can clap all you want. Um, I'm not going to be a big clapper, okay? Because I just embarrass myself if I do that. And that is a little bit funny because I did marry an exceptionally musical person. So our children are going to be kind of a social experiment in that regard. But I didn't even always realize my lack of a musical ability. It wasn't something that I was necessarily aware of. One day I was spending the afternoon, this was like, this was a while back, like high school, college age. I was spending the afternoon with friends of mine who were in a band, and they were rehearsing and sound checking their instruments, and I was kind of standing around just feeling useless. And probably you non-musician people know there's like a certain kind of uselessness and jealousy that you, you feel only around very musically gifted people. They just kind of look very cool and at ease with themselves. And you have to come to grips that that's just never going to be you. And that's what you need to do. Because the far worse alternative is deciding that that doesn't really look that hard and you should just join in. <laughs> You shouldn't do that. So that, this day, my friends were um, rehearsing, and I decided that I would help them out by playing the conga drum. You know what the conga drum is? It's not like that little drum that we have up here sometimes. It's like those two drums that are in a stand together that you play kind of like this, right? And this was one of those standing drums, and while they were playing, I decided that I would help them out a little bit, you know, kind of like this, like just keep time. And one of my friends was in the back of the room with headphones, listening to the sound mix. And I noticed that he was just laughing and laughing back there. And he came up to me and he was like, Matt, you're so terrible. <laughs> and he was right. He was right. I can't play the drums. I can't, I can't keep the beat. And the truth is, sure, I could improve probably. Like if I just locked myself in a room with a metronome, probably I could improve. I could work on tempo and rhythm. I could practice, but really, I'm never going to be a good drummer. That is not really my gift. And whenever you see a really good drummer, I think you can tell because they look so relaxed. It might actually be the reflection of hours and hours and years of practice, but when the music is actually playing, they feel the beat or the rhythm, and it looks very comfortable. It looks very natural. If you live by the Spirit... Keeping in step with the Spirit is actually what you were designed to do. Like, if you've been born again, then this is actually the new direction of your heart. The Spirit indwells you. 
I'm not saying that it's not a battle. Matt McCann said last week that when we fight our sin, it's going to be a battle. But we do that from a justified standing before God, and we've been made right before God, and we strive to crucify our sin from that place. And what Paul is adding to that fact is that we do that, we actually have a new identity. We are actually now wired up to fight sin from a justified place, but like our hearts actually have a bent now to please God. If we live by the Spirit, the Spirit has opened our eyes to the truth of the gospel. The work of the Spirit is to point us to Jesus. That's what John's gospel says, that the work of the Spirit is to point us to Jesus. So you have, with the indwelling Spirit, the power to live a life that is in line with the gospel. It may not be, I'm not saying that's easy, or not challenging, or not a battle, It may not even feel natural immediately, but that is our new nature. So I want to talk about some of the implications of that. What would that look like if walking by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, touches on all areas of our life? What would that look like specifically? I think that's why verse 25 that we've been talking about is followed by this seemingly unconnected exhortation. It says, let us not become conceited provoking one another and envying one another. And if you read that passage of thought, it might seem unconnected. Like, why is Paul all of a sudden talking about conceit and envy? What he's doing is showing that keeping in step with the Spirit has everything to do with our relationships. If we say that someone is conceited, what we're usually saying, right, if I say someone's conceited, I think what I'm usually getting at is that I think they're too proud or they're too stuck up. They think too highly of themselves. The word here for conceit is actually a Greek word uh, that says kenodoxoi. That's, I think, how you would pronounce it phonetically. Basically, that means empty of honor or empty of glory. The keno is talking about emptying, and doxoi is where we get doxology from. So Paul is basically describing conceit as a hunger for glory and honor. It's a hunger for glory and honor. Isn't that interesting? So uh, here's one definition that I, that I would uh, apply to this. Conceit is a deep insecurity. And this, in turn, fixates our minds on comparing ourselves with others. When we seem better than someone in some trait, our hunger for honor puffs us up and makes us feel great. When we seem to be inferior to someone else, we're devastated for the same reason. And in, in addition, this hunger for honor can make us very competitive. And that describes our natural state, the natural state of our heart without the gospel. Envying or provoking. So what's the result of this hunger for glory? Provoking and envying each other is. If we're provoking someone else, it's probably because we want to prove that we're better than that person. And if we're envying someone else, it's probably because they have something that we want. The provoker is looking down on someone, right? He's looking down on someone in order to feel better about themselves because they're sure that they're superior and need to prove it. And the envier is looking up at someone and is always aware that they themselves are inferior. But both the provoker and the envier are looking for glory, right? And they're doing it outside of the gospel. Do you see what I mean? 
the search for glory is this one that's tied to identity. They want to feel good about themselves relative to other people. They want to compare themselves with others and come out looking for good. They're hungry for glory. But they're trying to find it outside of the work of the Spirit. And this manifests itself in so many ways. Right? So, like, if you secretly rejoice when you hear bad news about someone, it's probably because you're, you are glorying in feeling superior to other people. If you're ever around a family, and it seems like their home life is so perfect and their kids are so well-behaved, or they just really seem to have a grip on how to do life well, and you're jealous, well, that's envy. And you're envious probably because you want to find your identity in being superior to other people. Let's say that God has blessed you, but you only compare yourself to the three or four other people in life that you think are doing better than you. You aren't content, and you probably never will be, unless you realize that glory is bestowed only from God. You've been created in the image of God, made by God for his glory, to represent God who God is, and what he's done. And we said sin marred that image. But because of the work of the Spirit, you've been reborn, restored. That image of God has been restored in you, recreated. And that's glory. That's identity. You've been called into the family of God and given the job description of relating to God and reflecting him on earth. That's glory. And Paul's saying, don't become conceited. Don't let your glory hunger get out of control because that's the condition of everyone who's searching for fulfillment outside of Christ. Do you see how, in the, do you see how the gospel makes us both bold in the sense that it, we, we see ourselves rightly before God? We find, that we find the boldness of being chosen by God and adopted into his family, but at the same time, humble because we realize that it's only because of his grace. So we're not overly confident in ourselves, nor do we think too little of ourselves. Instead, the gospel changes our self-image and frees us from this quest for fulfillment that can only be found by the work of the Spirit. Remember that I said the work of the Spirit is to point us to Jesus? John's gospel says that when the Helper comes, and he's referring to the Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. The Spirit points us to Jesus. So, for example, let's say you find yourself in a situation where you feel kind of defensive, you're on your heels. Let's say you're at work, okay, and you think you're being ignored or looked over or your contribution is not valued. I was in this situation not that long ago. I mentioned before that I worked... I've mentioned at other times that I've worked previously for a software company. And what, we used to have these staff meetings and sit around a long conference table. And early on, as I was like getting my feet, feet wet, I would sit there feeling useless while these more experienced people talked. And I, didn't, I thought I had nothing to contribute, and rightfully so. I really didn't know what I was doing. So these people would talk, and because I felt useless, what do you think I did? I would just judge them. You know, I would be like, oh, I bet these guys have no life other than this job. I bet they, like, I bet this is the only thing they care about. 
boy, I'm glad that I don't care as much about this as they do. Right? I was like the, you know, I was like the kid in high school that assumes, like, the pretty girl must be mean or stupid. You know, like, that was really, like, that's what I was like. Just jealous of other people, because I wanted, like, I didn't have anything to offer, so the only thing that I could do was make up a game in my head where they were inferior. My response was to judge them. Think about that, and imagine if my self-image was actually shaped by the gospel. Wouldn't that totally change the way I saw myself and the way I looked at other people? Both the way that I worked at my job and the way that I related to other people? I wouldn't measure myself by my ability simply to make a contribution, and I wouldn't judge other people because I was jealous of them. What I'm saying is if you live by the Spirit, if we've been born again by the Spirit, then your hunger for glory is fulfilled in Christ. So don't let your desire for glory and honor result in despising other people or envying them. The good news of the new birth frees us from comparison. It frees us from comparison. A couple simple points of application, okay? Walking by the Spirit means that your conduct should be in step with your new identity. How's that going to happen? I love that Matt McCann said last week that we have to know that we're in a battle, right? We have to actually understand that. We live in a world very hungry for glory and for approval and status. That's a constant, ongoing thing. So you could be a student, and you're tempted to speak things to get the approval of your friends, right? Some of the most cutting things that have ever come out of my mouth have been because I craved honor from other people, and I thought my vicious words would get it. So maybe you're an employee, and you want to gain favor with someone else, so you gossip. Or maybe you're a mother, and you're despairing that some of your work seems so seems like it's totally unrecognized. Those are daily, ongoing issues, right? Moment by moment. We're talking about challenges that that hit us like before 9 a.m. And that's why I said relegating the role of the Spirit to just our big decisions is minimizing Him. I'm not discounting those. I'm saying we walk by the Spirit moment by moment. Remember my earlier image of the drummer? Imagine if you actually had the gift of playing the drums, and you're given the responsibility of keeping tempo, and there's a rhythm that you want to keep in step with. You can hear the beat of that, but all around you, okay, your own band is playing, but all around you, to your right, to your left, in front of you, behind you, there's actually different music playing. That is a little bit like our life in this world. There are always, as we try and walk with the Spirit, there are always driving, insistent tempos that say, keep time with me. That's where glory will be found. That is always ongoing. And if walking in the Spirit is in line with our new identity, keeping in step with the Spirit is only going to happen if we are deeply in tune with the gospel. That's what we mean. Like We'll talk sometimes at Seven Mile Road about preaching the gospel to ourselves. That means people that are so deeply rooted in, the, in the, the redemptive story of God, so deeply rooted in the truth of the gospel, that that is, that is what orients them. We're talking about, we live in 
in a world and culture that, like, other stories, other rhythms, so to speak, are very pervasive. Keeping in step will happen when we are deeply in tune with the Spirit, when we're taking advantage of the means of grace, of gathering with God's people, of digging deeply personally into word and prayer, of being in community. Those things are things that root us in the gospel. And the text says to keep in step, to walk. So what I'm highlighting here is that's a process. I would encourage you this week, talk to your spouse if that's applicable. Talk to the people in your gospel community. Talk to trusted friends. And look at your own life. Ask the Spirit, just pray simply, and ask him to show you what are the areas of your life that are not in line with your identity as someone who has been born again. In particular, look for those areas where you seem especially thirsty for glory and for honor apart from Jesus. And make those areas of prayer. And here's the thing about being out of rhythm. You can always get back in step. Back in step. So if you're looking at your day and you're weak and thinking, honestly, I'm just like a glory hound. I look for honor apart from Jesus all the time. Repent and turn to God in faith and orient yourself in the gospel. What you will find is that this is actually natural, actually life-giving. If you have been born again, the Spirit of God indwells you and points you to Christ. So keeping in step is going to be a struggle. It will take consistent, ongoing preaching of the gospel to yourself because your constant temptation will be to walk to the beat of a different drummer. But it will be worth it. It will be life to you. Let's pray. Father, I pray for each one of us here today. Pray for those of us who have never experienced the new birth, that there would be a deep craving for the grace of God in Jesus. Pray for people in this room to be born again by your Spirit. But for those of us who have been born again by the Spirit, I pray that our lives would be in keeping with that new identity. Thank you that your Spirit points us to Christ. I pray that you would accomplish that work of causing us to walk in line with the Spirit increasingly, day by day. I ask for that. In Jesus' name, amen.